Oh, here we go. It is episode 13. Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live with myself, Jason Martinez. Our guest today is going to join us in a moment from NHL Network Radio. The Morning Skate with Gord Stellick. Scott Lachlan will be our guest today. And we'll talk to Scotty about um, a lot of topics around the National Hockey League, including the Leafs and the Flyers and the Rangers and Buffalo and much more. Uh, but let me tell you about Bet Parks. Great, great sportsbook app. You got to get it. It's the best casino and sportsbook app you're going to find. The hockey boost did not hit this. The broad, uh, the broad Street boost did not hit in the Leaf game on Wednesday night. Flyers only scored in two periods of that game, not all three, to get you that plus 500. So sorry about that. Not that I can do anything about it. But uh, check out our weekly boost. We'll be every Wednesday. Uh, we've hit the first two and then missed the last one. And uh, right now, all Bet Parks users, uh, by using the promo code JASON750, J-A-S-O-N-750, can get a risk-free bet up to $750. Again, new and existing users, and terms and conditions do apply. So download the Bet Parks app today. Same game parlays, live in-game betting, player performances, exact score, first score, you name it. It's all there for you on all the different sports. Uh, so download the app today. You need to be over 21, present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also, uh, great people at Conquerville Subaru. Conquerville cares, not just a saying, it's what they live by. They were the first Subaru Nation Love Promise Dealer of the Year winner back in 2015. They've adopted 15 classrooms in the uh, Marcus Hook Elementary School, eight years supporting Nemours Children's Hospital of Delaware. Great stuff that they do in the community, continuing with the donation of thousands of coats to La Humanidad, Hispania, and Kennett Square. They've done that for 10 years, and they continue it as well. Visit the showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. Beautiful showroom. Check out a uh, their certified pre-owned inventory, a list of incoming Subaru vehicles, and it's more than a dealership. Also get a great service department, free car wash with every visit. So visit ConquerVilleSubaru.com. And again, check out the showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills this weekend. And remember, Conquerville cares. Let's get to him right now from Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. He does the morning skate along with Gord Stellick uh, every Monday through Friday, bright and early. He is a former mullet wearer and a uh, 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 a proprietor of great music. We see eye to eye in that fashion. There he is. It is Scotty Lachlan. Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. Yourself? I'm doing great, man. How's the show been? Uh, it's going well. It's going real, real well. Uh, as you know, the challenge usually with morning radio is first off getting out of bed on time and the whole bit. Uh, with our, our new studio being built and completed in downtown Toronto as well, that's added a an extra little carrot to us uh, each and every day to get going. And we're there once or twice a week, still working from home like we are here today too. So kind of have the best of both worlds and a bit of a hybrid situation too, as we come out of what we endured for a couple of years running. So uh, as I always tell people, I mean, you know, we work hard to put ourselves into this position to do what we do, but at the end of the day, we're talking hockey for a living and there's nothing that beats that. Yeah. You, you know, Scotty, that if there were, a hiring for your job, the line would be oh. incredibly long of people I wanting to, it. Yeah, I used to think about that too, Jason. I'd be in the Leafs dressing room back in the day, and I'd be standing there in front of Matt Sundin with a microphone in front of him. And I used to say to myself, there'd be about a million people across Canada, uh -huh. uh, a couple of million across North America that would want to jump into my shoes right now to be talking with Matt Sundin yeah. on the spot here and it's something I never have ever taken for granted. But that yep. being said, like I said, Jason, we've put the work in. Uh, there's a certain amount of know-how that sometimes you and I even take for granted as to what we do on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, we, we've worked hard to, to do this and to put ourselves in this position. I knew 
what I wanted to do from the age of 12 onwards. I was in junior high school in grade seven, and I realized, Jason, you know what? I'm playing hockey, and I'm good, but I'm not that good. I mean, I'm not going to be able to realize the dream of becoming a National Hockey League player anytime soon. And so I I thought to myself, look, I mean, I've been a sports fan since the age of five, watching anything and everything on television. And I said to myself, if I can't be a player in the National Hockey League, maybe the next best thing would be to set out to be a sports broadcaster, to broadcast in and around the NHL at some point. And sure enough, since the age of 12, I mean, I set out with that goal. And, you know, thankfully, starting in 1992, right up until this very day, 30 years later, I'm still doing what I love. Yeah, you know, the crazy part about that is our our paths were different. I I entered via rock radio um, and went to spoken word um, 24 years ago. but. I started my radio career in 1992 as well. Mm. Uh, it's, it's been 30 years that we've been doing this. And there's a lot of people that always say, it. I see it on social media, oh, I could do it what he does. He just talks about hockey. Well, it, it's it's not about knowing not a guy's stats and all that yeah. stuff. It, it's about being able to deliver a compelling conversation on a daily basis for multiple hours. And it is yeah. not easy. Well, I tell you what, Jason, back in 1991, when I was going to radio college at Humber College uh, in Toronto, uh, they told us, and they probably put you through this at some point too, even though you came up as a DJ and in music and such, uh, when you get into announcing at any stage, you have to go through things like this. But back in 1991, uh, we were given a, a homework assignment. And back then we used the cassette recorder, of course, and you'd take a cassette home and our announce uh, teacher or professor, if you will, Uh, said to us, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to press record and I want you to ad-lib for 60 seconds. Okay, so it doesn't sound like it's difficult, right? Yeah. You go home, you press record, and you can talk about anything that you wanted to. You can talk about music, you can talk about current events, you can talk about sports, whatever made you feel comfortable, plus play and record and talk for 60 seconds, ad-lib. You would be amazed how difficult that is. And, yeah. and I would defy anybody out there that thinks, hey, I could be that radio broadcaster to go and press record. Talk to yourself for 60 seconds. You're not reading anything. You're not seeing anything. It's all coming from up here. And I want you to speak fluidly. I want you to speak without any ums, uhs, like, et cetera, et cetera. You'd be amazed how difficult it is. And even for me in 1991, just getting started, it was difficult to put together a one-minute ad lib Yep. Now I can go on the air for 12 or 13 minutes and talk to myself about the night before the National Hockey League and not miss a beat. But back yeah. then, and 30 some odd years ago, Jason, it's very, very difficult to get your mind around the fact that, that you could do something like that. Yeah, I have some old air checks that I listen to, and I'm like, oh, my God, why did I say this? Voice like way that? up here? Right? Yeah. Voice way up oh, yeah. here about to reach puberty? Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Try, trying to sound like everybody you're not, but eventually you just got to be who you are. And once you yeah. become authentic, that's when you start to reach a, a really good area. Because um, you got to be who you are. You can have influences, but you got to be yourself. You can't be a phony. And uh, that's why that's why I've always loved your program. And, you know, you have a lot of uh, broadcast structure, too, which which I have as well um, because of the way we came up. But let's talk about the, the NHL. Let's talk about what we came here to talk about in some hockey, Scotty, um, because – you know, the game the other night in Toronto with the Flyers and the Leafs has gotten a little, uh, a lot of pub after the game because of what took place with Austin, Austin Matthews and Travis mm-hmm. Konechny. And I know Rupper, uh, who appears on your station quite a bit on NHL Network Radio, uh, put out a, a video on social media 
and with his disgust, basically, about the situation and, and the way that Austin Matthews handled it. I didn't like it either. I don't like the showboating in a 5-2 game. I'm not one of those get-off-my-yard guys, you know. Mm-hmm. But he never answered the call. He had, like, the mitten things on that keep your gloves attached to your jacket and just seemed unwilling to even engage a guy that was much smaller than him. I don't want him fighting, but, geez, he, he couldn't have come off worse to me in that situation, and I love the player. Well, look, we talked to Rick Tockett on our show this morning, and, of course, Rick is always going to be beloved in Philadelphia for obvious reasons, too. And, you know, I said to Rick, like, I know it's changed. The game has changed to such a, a point, I think, Jason, where guys like that are just not expected to, to answer. Uh, and, and that's okay, I guess, in, in today's day and age. As you know, decades ago, back when Rick was playing and others, you did something, you know, that, that you, you kind of stood up for, uh, you'd have to defend it. Uh, you think back even, and I referenced Wayne Gretzky uh, fighting Neil Broughton way back when. Gretzky yeah. fighting Neil Broughton, right? Mario uh, at times literally had guys that were draped all over him, and I remember him going and getting into it with Kelly Miller for the Washington Capitals, who could be a thorn in his side uh, at the best and worst of times for sure. Uh, you look at McDavid in junior hockey, he fought. Unfortunately, he broke his hand when he fought, and that's kind of where we're at, right? So it didn't surprise me uh, to see that he didn't fight because that's kind of the way things are now. The stars just don't have to do that anymore, I guess. And that's an, again, another indication as to how it's all changed. We saw Michael Bunting come in to intercept. We saw Mark Giordano, who's been a captain at a couple of different stops along the way. He was another guy that jumped in there with connecting and such too. So uh, I just think we just have to accept that the game has changed to a certain point uh, where stars just don't do that sort of thing anymore. Uh, and, and if they do do it, I guess the other players have to to be accountable for why they didn't intercept. Uh, Sheldon Keefe, for his part afterwards, said he liked the way that guys stood up for Austin Matthews, but it's a different time, there's no doubt. I mean, the, the days of of Gretzky or even Sidney Crosby used had a couple of tussles with guys yeah. like Andrew Ferentz over the years, right? Like, every once in a while, you kind of do have to stand up for yourself, uh, but the game has changed to a certain point where now you can defend the fact that AM34 didn't answer it. Yeah, and well, you know a guy like, Ovechkin, a, a, a generational talent, if he had to answer the bell. Not many guys knocked on his door, though, because if he answered the bell, you you likely got very punished, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's funny, too, because, you know, I used to sit to my dad as a kid, Jason. We'd be watching hockey, and he was a Canadians fan, and I was a Leafs fan. But I would always say to him, I'd say, how come nobody really challenges Larry Robinson? Like, I know he's big and stuff, but, you know, why does, why does nobody challenge Larry Robinson? And my dad said, well, it's a type of thing where he commands such respect out there. And every once in a while, like, Larry would, you know, drop the gloves and he would show you why nobody really wants to go near Larry Robinson. It's like the Incredible yeah. Hulk. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry type thing, right? Yeah. And we saw it. Mike Milbury dropped the gloves with him, Larry Robinson, in the 84 playoff series. And, you know, Milbury basically had his lunch served up to him. Uh, Flyers fans would remember if you're old enough, obviously in 76 in the cup final and Larry Robinson standing up to the hammer, Dave Schultz and all that that entailed and such, and what that meant to that particular series too. So there are certain guys where, you know, you stand up for yourself and you garner such a reputation that you carve out a little bit more space out there on the ice. Sometimes I wonder, and again, I know it's changed and that's what I'm acknowledging here, but I just wonder if you, you maybe stand up for yourself once or twice, if maybe that, sends a message throughout the league like yeah i know the guy's a star 
but you don't want to push him too far because he, he can stand up for himself and fight his own battle. So, again, it's that kind of what we're talking about here, just the, the push and pull and how the game's changed over the decades that we're talking about and just discussing here today. Yeah, and, and you look at Matthews, too. I mean, he is a hoss. He is a big boy, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, we, we talk about power forwards, and I, I talk about Evan Rick talking on the show with us this morning. Jason, the definition of a power forward, right, is different yeah. than it used to be, right? Like power forwards like Rick Tockett and Gary Roberts and Cam Neely yeah. and players like that. Wendell Clark, pound for pound, and mm-hmm. one of the toughest guys you'd ever want to face, even though he wasn't 230. Uh, those were the power forwards that we grew up on. Yeah. Now the power forwards are guys like Austin Matthews who drive play by going hard to the net, but they don't necessarily have to back it up in terms of fisticuffs and things of that nature. So yeah. it is what it is. It's a different game entirely. I think the last of that breed was Milan Lucic. Yeah, you're right. Could score, so could big and strong. Hit. I mean, geez. absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, that's one bear I would not get in the ring with, man. He's as wide as, as thick as he is wide. It's unbelievable. Uh, the Leafs right now, Scott. You know, they had that road trip. They lose four or five. They've lost to three of the worst teams in the league in Arizona. Anaheim and San Jose here early in the season and I know it gets real noisy real fast in Toronto and they had a slow start last year but ultimately what really is going to end up mattering is the playoffs but there seems to be the way the team is structured the way the team is built it is a flawed team you know on the back end especially goaltending could turn out to be that we'll see how Samsonoff does and obviously the health of Matt Murray but uh, do you expect any changes to be made there this season? Uh, I'm not talking general manager or coach. That'll be decided based on play, yeah. but roster changes to change the makeup of the group. Well, we'll have to see You know how banged up Jake Muzzin is here, I think, over the long yeah. haul to figure out whether or not they have to make a move there. Now, they're going to get Timothy Lindgren back uh, into their lineup coming up tomorrow night, so that's a, a great return for him. Uh, Samsonov has been good in goal. Like Matt Murray, surprise, surprise, Jason, he got he hurt, hurt again. Uh, so he's on the outside looking in, at least for the, the time being. Uh, Samsonov, I think, who signed a one-year, $1.8 million prove-it-to-me contract, I, I think has been real solid for them so far in goal. I think ultimately, defensively, they need a little bit more help. Uh, can they find the wiggle room within the cap itself to find that? Uh, coming up on or before March 3rd, that remains to be seen. Look, up front, the team hasn't necessarily had a great season in terms of putting the puck in the net. Uh, But having said that, they broke out to a certain extent against Philadelphia a couple of nights ago. Uh, We'll see if they can discover that form. Tavares was outstanding, obviously, against the Flyers, going back to what he did. Just kind of reminding you that he's a little bit longer in the tooth, but this is a guy I think is going to be a Hall of Famer someday. I know Islanders fans might take some umbrage to that, that he hasn't won anything as far as playoff success and, and things of that nature. Uh, I think ultimately he'll be making a speech at the Hockey Hall of Fame down the road. Uh, But the reality is I think that they've got pieces in place. And we're talking about the cap. We're talking about the roster makeup. We're talking about production or lack thereof, Jason. I think ultimately it comes down to has this team figured it out? They've had four or five years now with this particular group where they haven't been able to escape the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, We've often heard with teams, well, you have to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win. I got news for you, Jason. Sometimes teams just don't figure it out, yeah. right? And and now you're become an expert in losing. Yeah, have they have they learned enough to yeah. to escape the first round? Like if they lose in the first round again, you know, I think all bets are off. I think wholesale changes could be coming behind the bench, even in the front office, and you wonder where this is all going to end up. We make note of the recent fact that 
uh, on the Cam and Strick podcast out of St. Louis, it was Barry Trotz talking about how it'd be nice to coach an original six team one day, especially one in Canada. And then you, you cross off the list and you're wondering, okay, by process of elimination, I think we're looking at Toronto. And maybe if he's still around coming up in the springtime and the least flame out in the first round again and can't get out of it, yeah. you wonder if that's a, a combination and go into the future where he could be a head coach uh, or a general manager because ultimately he probably wants to end up in the front office someplace, somewhere as well. So uh, I think that we look at this team, it's a talented team. Deep down, do they have it within themselves? Do they have the intangibles and the makeup with that roster to escape the first round and to make a long anticipated run in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think the jury's still in doubt right now when it comes to that question. One thing I've brought up on several occasions is the the Flyers are in need of high-end talent. Usually you have to draft that talent to get it and develop it. But Mitch Marner is a guy that I keep citing that if the failures continue there, that he would be a target of mine. Because I just don't know that – I think that maybe there's been too much scar tissue there – where it may be better for the player and the organization to move him on. He's a talented player. He can do so much, PK, power play, dynamic offensive abilities, all of it. But maybe there's just too much scar tissue there. Is that something that you could see playing out? He would be the likely man that would get you the best return for the team? Yeah, I've talked, Jason, too, going back to how they they flamed out last season in the playoffs. I've talked about William Nylander. Like, to me, he's a talented guy. He's going to yep. get you 30 goals. Uh, he's going to get you 70, 75 points. Uh, but he would have been the guy that I would have already moved out. And, and I said yeah. that at the end of the playoffs last season. You know, detractors, uh, cynics of what I'm saying would say, well, he's not killing your cap for, you know, what he, he provides for the salary he's paid. Uh, you're getting some good stuff from William Nylander. For me, he's just a little bit too inconsistent still. He's the type of guy that, again, at the end of the day, will have the numbers. I want to see more of a presence on a game-in, game-out basis. But ultimately, what you're talking about with with Marner is a guy who's a 90-100 to point guy that, as you say, can affect the game in so many different ways. Does he make a lot of money? Sure he does. But maybe it does get down down the road to the point where you're asking yourself the question – is it better for him to leave? Is this how you shake things up a little bit and take that next step and any sort of return you get back? And they've been locked into this nucleus, right? Like they've had little to no cap room uh, to play with here the last little bit. It's one of the reasons why a guy like Labushkin had to go down the QEW across the border to sign up for, for the Buffalo Sabres to play is because they couldn't afford to keep him, even at a modest salary that he gets back in return. So, look, I think if, if they don't get it done at playoff time in the first round, especially at the very least, I think you're looking at changes to this roster, again, behind the bench in the front office, whatever that's going to entail, because not making it past the first round of the playoffs is just unacceptable for a team that's spent all this money on this roster. Again, they've got this nucleus. Have they learned how to win come playoff time? Can they exorcise those demons come playoff time? That remains to be seen. Scott, something interesting happened this offseason that really intrigued me. I actually asked Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, about it as well. we saw some player movement to, you know, players going to areas and extending in areas that prior didn't seem like p- players were lining up to go to. Now, we know what happened with Calgary and the Matthew Kachuk trade and then Huberto and mm-hmm. both players that they acquire sign extensions. They commit to Canada and Calgary long term. Then we also see Johnny Gaudreau. He leaves and he goes to Columbus. Nobody goes to Columbus. Everybody leaves Columbus, right? If you have any talent. Not the case with Gaudreau. 
But what we see north of the border, is this now a turning where maybe it's not going to be all players, because some players I don't think have the right makeup to handle the media and the attention that comes playing north of the border. But is this could this be a turning point in the NHL where more players are going to those Canadian markets and therefore we can strengthen the Canadian teams again? And where, I mean, we haven't had a cup winner since 93. Yeah. Well, look at JT Miller in Vancouver, too. We thought he was Great as good point. as gone, right? All of a yep. sudden, Great he extends point. with the Vancouver Canucks, too. Yep. And on the surface, based upon how good he was last season, some would say maybe he took a bit of a discount over the mm-hmm. long haul with some of the money he might have left on the table. So yep. you're exactly right, Jason. Look, I've been around so many players over the years that have said, well, I'd love to play in a, a hockey-mad, passionate market like so-and-so or so-and-so north of the 49th. Once they get here, if things don't go well at all, it can just be a living hell for a player and his family and the whole bit. And wives are involved in social media exchanges and things of that nature. We've seen it time and time again. So, look, I've seen both sides of it. You look at guys like Gary Roberts and Joe Newendike when they came home to Toronto because they're from Whitby, Ontario, which is just east of Toronto. Uh, And for them to come home and play for the Leafs was, was living out a boyhood dream. And the Leafs had some good teams then, of course, back in the early 2000s when they used to beat the Ottawa Senators in the Battle of Ontario on a regular basis. Guys like Newendike and Roberts really embraced it, and they were tough enough mentally to make sure that even when things weren't going well, uh, that they were going to be able to produce. Other players have come to Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, you name it. When things aren't going well, you say to yourselves, what What do we sign up for here? Like, this is not what we want. We don't want to go to the grocery store and be in aisle six and, you know, somebody coming up and, and telling us what we're doing wrong. You know, we'd want to go into some sort of anonymity, right? And that's why we wonder about Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weaker. Yeah. Huberdeau in particular, people when he got traded to Calgary would come at me and say, there's no way he's going to want to stay in Calgary. He likes to drive his sports cars and he likes the warm weather. And I thought to myself, well, He's also Canadian. Maybe he wants to come home and maybe he wants to play in a hockey mad market. Maybe he thinks that's going to take his game to another level. And I think that's what ultimately he signed up for. Now he's off to a bit of a tough start with a goal and five points in the first nine games. And he's going to have to pick it up to earn the money, of course, that they they committed to him, too. So it goes both ways. Like you either embrace it or you just dread playing in a Canadian market. To your point, Jason, it's not for everybody. But for those that do embrace it, those that do produce, and for those teams that do win on a consistent basis, you know, as Dave Nonis told us earlier this morning on our show, there's nothing like it. Dave used the example that when he would would go home in leaving Scotiabank Arena back in the day as a general manager, he would always walk the same route. And Dave Nonis said that there was a a homeless gentleman that he would would walk by each and every time he would go home after work. Uh, and they would always have their exchanges and, and, and such, and they'd always talk about things, and they'd even talk about hockey. And the homeless person was telling Dave Nonis, hey, can I tell you something? And Dave said, yeah, sure. And he said, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why can't you guys win a little bit more consistently? So he was even getting advice from that gentleman in the street yeah. years and years ago, walking home the same route that he always took, good or bad. And those are the types of things that you sign up for when you're playing in a market like Toronto. Yeah, no doubt. It's, that's that's a great story about Dave Nonis. Um, you know, the thing is, too, is I, I'm friends with Jamie Lundmark, who played in Toronto for a bit. And Edmonton guy, played in Calgary as well, also played, you know, in some in, for some teams, Nashville and Arizona down here in the States. The Rangers obviously drafted yep. him. Um, and, and I know his wife, Erica, has been pretty outspoken about, you know, the effect on families 
in that situation as well. And that's gotta, that's gotta be part of the equation because, you know, if you have a family and you're, you're putting them in a position as well. So I think that's part of the equations. Just to hope that everybody can get a little bit more sane on social media and, and yeah. a lot less sharp, if you will. Yeah. And by the way, I can't think Jamie Lundmark without thinking Pavel Brendel, right? They each came into the Rangers situation yep. at the same time with so many expectations and, and such yep. for a tough time for the Rangers. But yeah, you're right. I don't know about you, Jason. I mean, you've been around sports for decades now, like I have. If I was an athlete in this day and age, I would be as far away from social media as I possibly could be. Yeah. I wouldn't be, you know, KD 35. I, I wouldn't be out there and engaging back and forth with fans and such. I would want to block that out as much as possible. Speaking of Mitch Marner, he said that recently too, when the Leafs got back from their, their Western road trip, that certainly didn't go well. And he got benched for a shift or two and smashed a stick and the whole bit. Uh, he was saying that he's, he's off social media. He just couldn't, couldn't take it when, when things aren't going well, it's probably the last place you'd want to be. I would get off it entirely. I really would. I don't know how how the, the younger generation gets into that sort of thing because yeah. there's no win-win in being in social media, I don't think. And again, when, when players get criticized and you know wives start getting involved and, and kids get involved and such, it gets real, real ugly. So for me, I, I would be as far away from social media as a professional athlete in this day and age as I possibly could be. Yeah, I, I, I was... Um... I conversed quite a bit with Claude Giroux when he was here and I knew it was really bothering him at one point. This is about three years ago, early in a season. And I was texting with him and he, and he, he was at the end of his rope with it. And I said to him, I said, dude, here's the deal. If would you seek out these critical people's advice on the game? Mm -hmm. And he said, no. And I said, then don't give their any opinion any validity in your mind. If you're not going to seek their counsel on the subject, don't let their criticism. And he's like, I, I, it's a great way of thinking about it and putting it. And, but it's, it's hard to do. It's human nature too, to know what are people saying about me? Even if you're a pro athlete, I, it's tough. And you're right. You just got to stay off it. Cause it is, it's, it's a fucking cesspool. It's just brutal. Yeah, it really is. And look, again, you'd better be prepared to have the criticism come along with all the accolades, right? You're going to get yep. the good and you're going to get the bad. And if you're going to get the bad, you better have a thick enough skin to deal with it. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to break you down mentally, no question. Yeah, for sure. Um, let me ask you about the Flyers with uh, John Tortorella. Obviously, they're bereft of talent right now, high-end talent. No Couturier, no Atkinson. You've got all these injuries again. But Torts comes in. And Scotty, when he comes in, there's this notion that he's going to bring a team right to being, you know, knocking on the door to get in. You're one in all the places he's been. That's not been the case. He comes in and I think it's an assessment period to see who's going to be on board with what he's going to need going forward. Because after year one, every team he's had, he's gone to the playoffs a minimum of four straight years after that with an arc. What have you thought of Torch so far as the bench boss of the Flyers? I think he's gotten as much out of that roster as you possibly can at this point, uh, Jason. There's no question in my mind that that's the case. It's not a deep roster, as we know, especially given the injuries that you alluded to. Uh, so I think that he's, and I've used the phrase, sucking blood from a stone. Like, he's getting as much out of this team as he possibly can. At the very least, if you play for John, and players will tell you this, bring the work boots, right? If you don't bring the effort, you're going to sit. And if you're having a, yeah. a tough night, as Konechny and, and Hayes found out in that third period, 
just over a week ago, I guess it was. And boy, have they responded well to their credit. They acknowledged that they didn't play well. They kind of deserved it. They responded accordingly. I thought that Kevin Hayes might've been the best flyer uh, in that loss in New York. And then the very next night, I thought Konechny was probably the best flyer in that loss at Toronto too. So those two guys have been their best forwards so far. Uh, and I think they responded accordingly. And, and if you're going to bring the the effort, you'll play for John Tortorella, even Kiefer Bellows being brought in here. And boy, I hope he pans out, right? Just because of the bloodlines, because of the pedigree he came in with, kind of got lost in the shuffle with the Islanders. If he's not going to do it with Philadelphia here, given their lack of high-end talent, like you say, I'm not sure it's ever going to happen for Kiefer. I certainly hope it does. And he's been given an opportunity here to play 12 to 15 minutes per night in the first couple of games to, to make a difference. Still looking for his first goal, but he'll have the opportunity. Again, as long as he brings the effort. Uh, I think, you know, if Philadelphia is going to remain competitive, uh, I think that a number of things have to happen. Number one, because you don't have a high-end roster uh, bereft of all kinds of high-end talent, you need to play structured defensively. I think they've been a better defensive team so far. I think something you and I have talked about for the longest time is Carter Hart needs to find that consistency and he needs to be healthy to make that difference. So far, so good, right, for Carter Hart, who's played really, yeah. really well for Philadelphia. And you do have to get guys that, that just bring that that workmanlike effort each and every night. So you get goaltending, structured defensively. Hopefully you get a power play goal or two along the way and to bring the, the work ethic where you can outwork some teams some nights. I think that will keep the Flyers... Uh, in co- competitive levels that perhaps not many of us expected them to be at. Because before the season began, you thought Arizona, Chicago, Montreal, and oh yeah, Philadelphia might be in the mix for a Connor Bedard down the road. Yeah, I just wonder, I mean, with John Tortorella coaching this team, if he might just have this team a little bit higher up the standings than everybody could have anticipated going in. Yeah, and Bedard, let me ask you about him, Scotty, because you've gotten a good look at this kid. Uh, we know the numbers last year and his underage year and how much he surpassed even Connor McDavid's numbers in that same situation. Um, the kid is just such an insane talent. Uh, like it almost freaks me out, Scotty, that a, a, a kid, one kid can be that much better than the best players at his age. It just like it's how does that happen? You know what I mean? Like how is somebody just that much better than the group of the best. I remember Patrick O'Sullivan telling the story about playing Ovechkin in his U17 or something like that. And, you know, best players, you know, age appropriate against each other's. And they went over and they played the Russian team and, and Ovi had like nine goals. And he was just like, what the hell? Like, this is a freak show. But Dart is on that yeah. level. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Patrick, too. He and I used to uh, talk uh, off-air mainly about the the World Juniors back in Grand Forks, North Dakota, when Canada had probably the best junior team ever assembled. Now, we have the work stoppage to thank for that, of course, going back to circa 2005. Yep. But Patrick in the U.S., of course, played that really chippy game against the Russians in the semifinals. And it got really, really, really chippy. And, uh, of course, we saw what Canada did to, to Ovechkin and, and Team Russia with the gold medal to play for. And, and Patrick said, yeah, we, we didn't want any part of that Canadian team anywhere. They were so stacked. Uh, it played out the way that it did. Uh, but getting back to it, I mean, the word phenom used to be used, right? Now we're calling them generational talents, right? Generational players. Yeah. And not everybody fits into that category, right? Like so much was expected of Nico Heeshear because he was the top pick in the draft. And, you know, I, I almost call it the Andrea Bargnani 
uh, syndrome, right? I mean, the Toronto Raptors had the, the top pick in the NBA draft. It just so happened it was in a, a bad draft year where Bargnani was the choice, and certainly you didn't have that generational-type franchise player for the Raptors to reap the benefits of. Uh, but there are reasons why the Crosbys and the Matthewses and the McDavid's of the world are generational-type talents. They're not all like that. I think Connor Bedard kind of fits into that category, though. I think he really does. Those that have seen him play up close and personal, and I've seen him on television like everybody else has at the World Junior Hockey Championship, and we see all the clips coming from the Western Hockey League with what he's doing with the Regina Patch, Jason. And those that have seen him have said, this guy's got the best release I've ever yeah. seen from a junior player at that age. He can shoot the puck with ease. He's got such a nose for the net. His hockey instincts are off the charts good. He thinks the game so well. He can make amazing passes. Not the biggest guy, and that's the, the biggest detriment for a guy like that is that he's not the biggest guy, but once again, the game has changed, right? Smaller yeah. players can succeed now more so than they ever had been able to succeed in years gone by. So I think he's going to be a franchise-changing type player. Now, we say that, but we also acknowledge the, the fact, Jason, that Sidney Crosby in his first NHL season, while he did have 102 points, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, they missed the playoffs, right? Yeah. So hockey's not like the other sports where you get one guy who plugs into your starting five in the uh, NBA, you or yep. you get a first-round pick in the NFL that's out there every single down that can make a difference. It's the ultimate team sport. It does take time, and even guys like Crosby couldn't change it overnight. But I think that Connor Bedard is that type of talent, though, that can change the fortunes of a franchise. Adam Fantilli. Yep, another who, of one. Of course, a freshman player at the University of Michigan. He's off to a tremendous start, too, coming out of Chicago, uh, like he did to enter, enter Ann Arbor. Uh, Matvey Michkov, I saw a highlight of him yesterday in the Continental Hockey League, scored a great shootout goal uh, where he made the goaltender look what a great draft. As well. It's a deep, deep draft. And look, if the Flyers are not the worst team in the league or don't win the draft lottery, it's not the end of the world. If you miss it on Connor Bedard, it's not the end of the world. Certainly that carrot that's named Connor Bedard at the end of the rainbow is going to be a good one for some franchise out there. But if you're a team that's selecting top four, top five, when it's all said and done, you're going to get yourselves a darn good player to, to really expedite a rebuild. I always go back to that 2017 draft. The Colorado Avalanche and Joe Sackick were furious that they landed number four when they landed at the end of the season, 41, 40 standings points in the rear. The second worst team in the league had 40 more points in the standings than they did. They ended up drafting fourth. They ended up drafting Kale McCarr. How's Bob Clark feel about that, Jason? How's Bob Clark feel about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bob Clark and everybody in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a coup that was. The Flyers, of course, ended up with Mika or Nolan Patrick, mm -hmm. and uh, I think his career might be over. Um, Scotty, let me ask you about the importance of – you've covered this game a long time. You're at the hub in Toronto. The Flyers are an important organization to the NHL because people around the globe are not ambivalent on the way they feel about the Flyers. They're either loved or they're hated. There's very – very little middle ground here. And that's good. That's a polarizing team. And they're a big market and a team that gets eyeballs. And they've been down the last three years. Um, they need to be a team that's, you know, in the mix for the NHL because it's good for the NHL, like Chicago, like New York, you know, those big markets like Montreal, like Toronto. Um, just how important are the Flyers to the NHL? I think they're very important. I've always said this about the Flyers. I've said this over the years, Jason. I mean, this goes back to the 70s, obviously, when they clearly had an identity. 
Uh, even in the 1980s, I mean, we have Dave Poulin join us every Tuesday morning. You know, that, that Flyers yeah, led team that Dave Poulin had with, yeah. with Mike Keenan, uh, 85 and 87. I mean, they were so good, right? When you talk about mm-hmm. best teams not to have won the Stanley Cup, 85 Flyers, 87 Flyers, you could probably put there at the top of the list, right? They just ran into the Oilers with all those future Hockey Hall of Famers, as we know. Uh, and and I, I always thought, and, and I still think, that the Flyers have always had an identity. Now, maybe they lost sight of that the last couple of seasons, the way things yeah. have gone. But you always knew Philadelphia was a colorful team, not just because of the beautiful sweaters that they wear, but they always came in with an identity. They were a big, strong, physical team uh, that could dominate you physically, and they could win more often than they'd lose. I think, again, that was lost for a little bit. I think they're slowly getting back to it now. And that's one of the challenges, I think, that John Tortorella has inherited by coming into Philadelphia. You know, we saw it, you know, back on on – on uh, the offseason when John Tortorella came on NHL Network Radio and he was on with Boomer Gordon and he was talking about the the dressing room where the Flyers have and how there has to be more accountability uh, yeah. and that he had questions about the Flyers dressing room. This was before he even had stepped into the Flyers room with that collection of players. Now, no doubt, uh, through Chuck Fletcher, he's had a bit of a heads up as to what to expect and what the challenges would be. So that's when it started for him. It's like about reestablishing a culture of the Flyers. It's about reestablishing an identity making the team, again, quote-unquote, tougher to play against. I think clearly it's a work in progress, but I think so far, so good based upon uh, what they've accomplished here. So, again, that, that's what I think Philadelphia has always had for the most part, is an identity. You knew when the Flyers were coming to town what kind of game you were going to get from the opposition. Uh, losing it for that small time that they've lost it, I think it's now time to get it back again. And to your point, uh, I've said this about Detroit this season. I like yeah. when Detroit's good, when Detroit's Me competitive. Too. It just feels like the NHL's right. And yeah. I would say the same thing about the Philadelphia Flyers. I can't wait to see them get back to being that team that's a playoff team each and every season because it's such a passionate market. We talk about Canada. Uh, I can I can feel the, the passion the Flyers fans have always had for this team. And for them to get back to being that team that annually we see in the postseason, I think it'll be great for the market and for the National Hockey League in general. Yeah, I, when Detroit's good, Detroit and Colorado are playing meaningful yeah. games. Like, there's is there anything better than that? I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, because we're so used to seeing rivalry. the teams, right? And this goes for yeah. the Flyers have success. Where yeah. right right away, you're doing your preseason prognostications, Jason. Okay, Philadelphia is in the playoffs. How far they go, I'm not quite sure. There'll be yep. some injuries along the way. There'll be some adding and subtracting come the trade deadline. But when you're doing your predictions before a season. We had grown so accustomed over the years to saying, hey, Philadelphia's a playoff team. They're in the top eight for sure. Where they go from there, that's up to them. Yeah. And l- let me ask you, if you th- one last thing before I get to our question out the door. Um, you mentioned earlier 1976. Flyers won back-to-back cups, 74 and 75. They go back in 76. They lose to Montreal, who wins four straight cups. Flyers go back to the finals in 1980. They lose to the Islanders, who win four straight cups. They go back to the finals in 85 and 87. They lose to, I think, the greatest team in hockey and that Oilers team that won, what, four in six years? Yep. Or uh, technically five. Five and seven. Yep. Yeah. Five and seven. Um, And then they go back in 97 and they lose to Detroit, who wins three in five years. And then they go back in 2010 and they lose to the Chicago Blackhawks, who win three in five years. I've never seen a team, I can't find a comparable in any sport, Scotty, of a team that's gone to that many finals and faced a dynasty each and every time it went. 
Yeah, maybe when you when you think about it, I, I guess the Bills going to four straight Super Bowls and losing the way that they did is mm-hmm. sometimes in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, certainly, the game against Washington was not even close. We know that to be true. And and, and me being a forty five year fan of the Dallas Cowboys, I apologize, Philadelphia fans. Uh, but you know th- those games were not really that close either. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the second one, you know, in the dome, obviously was a little bit closer than the game in Pasadena. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's the only comparison they could draw in the fact that, you know, they were making these runs, but coming up against a team that was just that much better. And that's what I've often wondered too. Like I said, Jason, the best teams to have never won the Stanley cup. Like that's a discussion for an entire hour somewhere for somebody to, to kind of kick around and discuss. A oh, little yeah. bit. Like I look at Philadelphia in 85 and 87. I also look at those caps teams that were emerging back in the 1980s, right? With David Poyle and Brian Murray putting those pieces mm-hmm. together. Those Washington teams were really, really good. We talk about guys like Larry Murphy on defense and Kevin Hatcher and Scott Stevens, Rod Langley, Secretary of Defense, yeah. right? Uh, and you talk about all those great teams that had in Washington, but the problem was that Philadelphia was really good in the 80s. Of course, the Outers were doing what they did with the four straight Stanley Cups and being competitive towards the end of the 1980s as well. Then if you somehow got out of the East, you'd have to contend with Edmonton and Calgary coming from the West. And it was just the wrong place at the wrong time. So, you know, I, I think that a lot has to go right in any sport for a team to break through to win a championship. And it just so happens that Philadelphia was always really, really, really good. But there was always a team that, for whatever reason, was just that much better throughout the course of a seven-game series. So uh, they've been close. And I know 75 was a long, long time ago, too long uh, in the minds of all the Flyers fans out there. But uh, like we say, I mean, they're they're heading back in the right direction now. And I think John Tortorella is the right coach at the right time to get this franchise, again, uh, trending upwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Scotty, let me just give you this number real quick because I had pulled this together. Six Cup Finals Cup appearances uh, t- since the back-to-back Cups. The teams they lost to in the Finals won a combined 20 Cups with five different Finals opponents. That's wow. amazing. Stunning wow. number. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, and it's not it's not to get there until you play when you get there sometimes, which is why that Eagles Super Bowl was great because it was over the Patriots um, <laughs> and Tom Brady to avenge the 4 one um, Last question for you, and this is not a hockey question. Okay. I always hit you with a music question because we share taste in music. Uh, let me ask you your top three live concerts that you have mm. attended. I know you've gone to a lot of good shows over the years, yeah. as have I. Well, you know what, Jason? I've seen over 200 shows, I would estimate, because I know that I've seen Motley more than 30 times. I know I've seen Kiss more than 30 times. doesn't matter who's in the band. Like, I've seen Motley, of course, with Samantha Maloney on drums, Randy Castillo, God rest his soul, Tommy Lee, obviously, over and over and over again. I've seen them. Uh, John Karabi? Yeah, I, I never did see them with John Karabi. I'm not sure, to be honest with you, Jason, whether or not they toured that record up in Canada. And oh, although okay. I think that, believe it or not, that Motley record with John Karabi, I think is a heavy record. I think it's a I very underrated record, right? Yeah. Uh, Generation Swine was actually written with John Karabi in mind. It just so happens that they felt like, hey, let's get Vince back. Karabi yep. is persona non grata. And Vince was singing all the songs that were written for John Karabi to perform. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Uh, and whenever Kiss comes to town, I mean, generally it's been Paul and Gene, and I've seen all these different configurations along the way. Sign me up, you know, where do I go purchase my tickets? So that being a given, and, and 200 or so shows in, I would have to say 
the first show I'm going to give you, top three concerts, the first show I'll give you was from around circa 1984, and it was Rat on the Out of the Cellar Tour. Okay, so I'm like 15 years old. I was at a great, venerable uh, facility like Massey Hall, which has since been refurbished. We had sixth row at Massey Hall. To put that in perspective, Jason, that's like seeing a band in your school gymnasium in high school. Okay, so we had such great seats. And after that show, which was off the charts good, I played the heck out of that out of the cellar cassette so much so that the black cassette tape that had all the song titles on it. Yeah. In the end, it was a black cassette tape. You yeah. couldn't see the song titles anymore because I had it in and out of that cassette player so often. It was such a great record. After the show, my buddy and I, 15-year-old pimply-faced kids standing out in the parking lot with the rain coming down, the after party's going on. You can imagine some of the, the people that were being led into the after party. Yeah, uh, They were not 15-year-old pimply-faced kids standing in the pouring rain. Uh, yet we're out there waving to them to let us into the after party. Warren Martini from Rat actually comes to the door, Jason, lifts up the window. And we say, Warren, let us in. Warren, let us in. He said, what? We said, Warren, let us in. Let us in. He just slowly looked at us, put the window back down, and went back to partying, right? Good, we were not the clientele that they were going to let into the after party. <laughs> uh, that particular that if you follow me back in 1984. So that's number one. Uh, number two, this, this might surprise you a little bit was seeing Fleetwood Mac on the tango in the night tour back in 1987. It was wow. the first of many times that I've seen Fleetwood Mac. Now that was the, the tour where of course, Lindsey Buckingham recorded the record, but when it came to the tour, it was Billy Burnett and Rick Vito co-guitarists who played with Fleetwood Mac. That wow. being said with about 10 different costume changes, wardrobe changes for Stevie Nicks. I mean, I fell in love with that band at that present point back in 1987. Uh, I would say that the last one would be the last concert I saw, Jason, which was last month, just a couple of weeks ago. I saw Iron Maiden for probably about the eighth or the ninth time. Mm-hmm. And as you know, you've probably seen Maiden along the way. Yep. Maiden always delivers, right? It yep. doesn't matter you know, what year it is, what decade it is. Iron Maiden, especially with Bruce Dickinson, always deliver. That's why I'm very happy to hear that next year in Europe, they're going to get this going again. And their next tour is going to go right through 2024. You know, they're coming back to Toronto, you know, they're coming back to North America. So I would give you those just because Maiden was the last show I saw. Uh, I would say 87 Fleetwood Mac Tango in the night. Great album, great tour, fell in love with Stevie Nicks and the band that night and going back to circa 84 rat on the out of the cellar tour at Massey Hall in Toronto, which is like seeing them at your high school gymnasium. How about that? I saw Rat and Poison together. It was oh. it was the next tour after that, out of the cellar tour. So it was Rat Poison. Yeah. Words is obvious, Absolutely. Too. And how many bands, Jason, would, would have something as good as a debut as Out of the Cellar and yeah. follow it up with Invasion of Your Privacy, of course, led yeah. by You're in Love and mm-hmm. Lay It Down and, and, and songs like that. Great right? album. Yep. Yeah, it was just another great one because there's so much pressure on bands when they nail that first record. And bands would talk about this. Record companies say, give me your next best one. Get it out there as quickly as possible. Let's capitalize on this run of success. And Rat was right there as far as I'm concerned. Is that one-two punch to hit you right off the top of the discography? Rat was right there with those first two records. Yeah, Somewhere in Time tour for Maiden with Ingve Malmsteen was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I remember that one in, in the late 80s. Um my top for me, I saw in 85 Metallica on the master with Cliff Burton open wow. for Ozzy. 
Wow. Which was off the charts. And then in, oh God, I'm trying to think what year it was. Maybe 97, it's Pantera at a small club, mm. which was ridiculous. Just an, an absolute assault. Um, and I would probably put Slayer at the Electric Factory in Whoa. Philly as one too, which was just the most violent concert I've ever been. Oh, to. I tell you what, Jason, you're, you're so correct about that because the only time I saw Slayer, believe it or not, was when they opened for Judas Priest a few years ago. So I went to see Priest, but I like some Slayer stuff. And I said to my buddy, I said, this Slayer crowd, because they were opening for Priest. Oh, yeah. I said, this Slayer cr- crowd is so intense. Yeah. I see now why they finally got smart after the 70s, right? Because in Toronto, Jason, there was a show circa 76, 77, the Alice Cooper riots, they call it. The Alice yeah. Cooper show at the CNE Stadium in Toronto. Alice couldn't perform that night, had no voice, whatever the case may be. He was battling some demons back then, as we know. But fans got so upset, they started picking up the seats and they started throwing them everywhere. And they're known as the Alice Cooper riots in Toronto. And ever since then, of course, the seats are attached and or bolted into the cement. And I said when I saw at the Budweiser stage a few years ago, Priest with Slayer opening up, I said, this reminds me once again as to why the seats are bolted in. Because I said to myself, if those seats are loose, this Slayer crowd is going to throw them to Mississauga, which is about a half hour outside of Toronto. Yeah. It was going to get that rowdy. That crowd was that passionate and that intense. Yeah, it's they're dangerous shows. The other one for me is... Um, Guns N' Roses on the Appetite Tour opening up for Aerosmith before they hit it big. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, I would say, I would say too, Jason, to add to that, Guns N' Roses on the Use Your Illusion Tour because they played the Toronto date about two weeks before the albums even dropped. Oh, So wow. while they were playing a lot of stuff from Appetite, obviously, probably the entire album, uh, before Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 were even released, they played Toronto. So they wow. were playing tracks – uh, like Live and Let Die, obviously, the the, the Paul McCartney uh, remake. Uh, they were playing tracks. November Rain. And- November Rain that people had never even heard before. And you're like, wow. okay, this is kind of cool. Those I are can't epic songs, record. too. But yeah. it, was really, it was really strange to hear a band performing those great songs, as great as they turned out to be, weeks before we even had heard them via the discs that eventually got released. Wow, that's great. That's a great story. Um, Scotty. Thanks for doing this, man. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Lachlan SXM. You can hear him Monday through Friday. What time do you start? Seven? Uh, Gord and Lippa and Mataraz are on at 7 a.m. Eastern each and every morning. I join in an hour later. I go an hour uh, later than, than they would as well. Gord's on till 10 in the morning. I'm on till 11 in the morning. And Mike Johnson, as you know, most often yep. and not is with me in the 10 o'clock Eastern hour. So uh, 8 to 11 for me each and every morning. The NHL morning skate 7 to 11 on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. You guys do great work. I listen all the time. Uh, if I'm not up that early, I go on demand and listen to the segments. And uh, I always have uh, loved your work, Scotty, as you know, back from when you were doing the power play and all these years. I always appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing this, man. Have a great weekend. Have a great season. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me again, Jason. There he is. Scott Lachlan from NHL Network Radio. One of my favorite guys in the business. I've always liked Scott, the way he handles himself like a true professional. So I appreciate him coming on. Let me tell you real quick about Pet Parks. Pet Parks uh, creates sportsbook app. It's now time to get it. All the hockey action, all the baseball, the football, you name it, get in your action. Uh, easy to sign up, easy to use. And right now use that $750 risk-free bet. 
just by using promo code Jason750. Download the Bet Parks app today. You need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. And also stop by Conquerville Subaru this week on our Route 202 in Glen Mills or visit ConquervilleSubaru.com. Check out a list of their incoming vehicles or their great certified pre owned inventory and uh, enjoy a great, great dealership, beautiful dealership on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, Conquerville cares. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live.